Good morning and uh, welcome. I missed you guys last week. We were on vacation in North Myrtle Beach, and so uh, we went to church at Barefoot Church in North Myrtle and had a great time there, but I sure did miss being with you guys last week and um, just had a, a hunger to get back and hang out with you guys. For Father's Day, uh, some of you guys have seen this, and men, if you missed this, I want you to go pick up your orange koozie, and there's some cold drinks in the back other than water, some soft drinks and all that kind of junk, If so don't get carried away with the cold drink thing. But anyway, uh, some of you guys have mentioned about the orange koozie and have already said something to me about, man, that looks good, and you know, something happened this week that we found out about, and we felt really bad what happened to Clemson, so we just, this is just like a gift back. We're sorry, but we didn't do it. Listen, I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with that. I do think that's stupid, by the way, for the record, but I, we, I wanted to get blue koozies because, you know, I don't like Clemson, and, and the orange just looked a lot better, so I have to admit the orange looks good. And uh, we want you dads to know, by the way, um, how grateful we are for you. Uh, a lot of times you guys get beat down in the church, and people say, y'all don't do enough, and you're not enough leaders, but there's so many of you guys that are dads and that are men that have meant so much in my life and you've poured into me and I'm grateful for you guys and what you mean to our church. And so we just want you to know from the bottom of my heart that we love you and we're grateful for you. Um, I'm grateful to have my dad and my father-in-law here and so many other of you men that mean so much to us. And this morning um, is, is week two of Roots and we're and I'm going to do God the Father. I thought it was appropriate to preach on God the Father this morning. So I'm not necessarily preaching to dads, but I'm preaching about the ultimate father. And my goal this morning is that you fall in love with God maybe like you never have before. Uh, over the next several weeks, and I want you all to get this, it is so important. Like more than I've ever been impressed or burdened about messages I am right now, and it's for a few reasons. I played golf this past Wednesday uh, with my father-in-law at uh, one of the barefoot courses in North Myrtle Beach. And we played with two other guys because they normally pair you up. And one of the guys we played with was a, a Jehovah Witness. And a um, super nice guy. Uh, great time talking to him. He, he knew immediately I was a pastor. I don't even know what I said, but I said something about one of my pastor buddies or whatever. And he asked if I was a pastor. And it developed a conversation that lasted obviously over four hours for the time we played golf. And during that time, he said some things that bothered me to my core. I mean, it, it almost shook me. And one of the things he said was, one of the things that bothers me about you guys being evangelicals is the fact that you don't read your Bibles. And I appreciate the fact that some of, that you do, and we were just going back and forth, and he was very nice. It wasn't, wasn't like a, a fighting type thing. And I was able to share the gospel with him, but I was deeply burdened for us as a church and for the people in our community. And so for the next few weeks, what my goal is and what I believe the Lord's impressed upon my heart is to share with you guys the doctrines, the roots, the deepness of our faith. That Not that you can be deep and know all these like great mysteries because you're going to walk away today with me basically telling you you can't know a lot of those things, but it's to fall in love with the God of the universe, to fall in love with him and to realize where you are. Next week is about us. It's, it's man. And there's a two-week goal that I have, and I really want y'all to try to come back. This is our goal, to understand why you were created. And so I want you to get this, and I want you to get this all throughout this message and all throughout next week. And as we continue in this theme for an eight-week sermon series, this is you. This is why you were created. Man was created with one purpose in mind, and that is to bring glory to God, period. 
When we understand that our chief end is to bring God the Father glory. Now listen, we worship Jesus. I lifted my hands. There is nothing I love to do more than worship the name of Jesus. But Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross, not just to save me from my sins, but to bring God glory. It says it bruised, excuse me, it pleased God the Father to bruise his son. Why? Because it brought him glory. Why? Because all of us could be given the right to be grafted, to be brought into the family of God. God is not bored, sitting on a cloud, needing to create us. He wants a relationship with us. He is massive and amazing. And so this morning I'm going to um, preach out of Romans chapter 11. And last night I was just going back through. And I just wanted to share this with you guys because I thought it was so cool. In Romans 11, this is Paul's words. And just for the record, if you guys haven't read through Romans, um, and I hope you've read your Bibles this week. I, I didn't ask you to raise your hands today, but I will next week. I'll give you a week off. But I hope you all read it this week to get to know the God of the universe more. And by the end of this, I believe you're going to love him more and more. Um, but I was reading back through. My, my passage is uh, Romans 11, 33 through 36, and I just wanted to go back through and it's typically what I do on Saturday nights is just watch a little TV and then get back in the Word. And verse 17 just started jumping out at me. And I was like, oh my goodness, I have to share that. Because Paul is addressing us, the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, as the, and the Jews as well. And this is, what he, this is what he's saying is, listen, you guys walked away from God, Jewish people. You walked away. He brought them a sign. You walked away. And, and for us... We, we've been given the right to be called a child of God, but don't get proud. Listen to what it says. And I love that the word roots is in there, so that's why I'm going to read it. Verse 17, but if, if some, and it won't be on the screen, I apologize because I just found this last night. But it says, but if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in, and others now share in, in its nurturing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you remember, it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you, God the Father is our root, and we don't support him. We don't do him favors. It is God that supports us. Then you will say, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. The Jewish people walked away from it. Now we Gentiles, we have a right to do this thing. We followed the Lord, and that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. Stand fast through faith, so you do not become proud, but fear. For, for if God did not spare the natural branches, his chosen people, if he did not spare them, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God. And I want y'all to not miss this today. God is both kind and gentle and loving, but he is also severe. He is also severe because he is a jealous God. He wants your love. Severity towards those who have fallen, but kindness toward you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. And even they if they do not continue in their unbelief, can be grafted back in and be a part of the family of God. They can be grafted back in, for God has the power to graft them in. For if you were cut away from what is naturally a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into, into a cultivated tree, how much more can the natural branches be grafted back into the olive branches? John chapter 15 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And that is Jesus. He is our vine and we are the extended branches. And so many times we miss our place because we think that our many branches or even as, as Romans 11, as Paul took it a step further and said the sprout, the little baby sprout, we find ourselves so important. And this is what we think. The root needs me. 
And, and I'm here to tell you this morning, the root does not need me. The root does not need me. See, God's end was not to create me so that I would be awesome and I could do him favors. I am so indebted to the root. Everything that I do is his. Everything that is awesome is his. He is so awesome. He is so supreme. And so this morning, I want to show y'all that even though he is, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, ultimately it gets down to the root and that is God the Father. And I hope by the end of the next few minutes you'll fall in love with him. But I want you to see how big God is because his word says in Isaiah that he holds the universe in the palm of his hand. And I want you to see what this looks like. Um, we have um, on the screen the, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Because I can show you what's on my, this is, um, this is a scale. If you want to look it up when you get home, it's um, right here. If you see my mouse, scale of the universe scaleoftheuniverse.com. I found it one day messing around and I showed it to the students. I thought it was really cool. And um, so this is 10 to the zero, zero power. Lost my mouse for a second. This is 10 to the zero, zero power. And uh, I just want to kind of take you out. I want you to remember that a light year is 5.4 trillion light years in length. And I want you to see how big some of these things are. So we're just going to scan span out and see how big some of these things are. Um, we'll go pretty quickly, but I think Austin pointed this out this morning, and it's quite true. The redwood tree is bigger than a Boeing 747. Isn't that crazy that there's a tree out there that's <laughs> bigger than a 747? That's how big the Titanic was. Of course, the Eiffel Tower, the pyramids, and we're going out. And This is what I want you to do, because we're going to go back to this next week. I want you to remember where you were on this scale, okay? Remember, because we're going out now. We're 10 and 2.6 to the 2.6 power, I'm sorry. So we're getting out, we're seeing waterfalls, big things. There's Central Park, some of y'all have been there in New York. So we're just, Rhode Island, smallest state, and we're just gonna move out. There's California and Italy, and I'm just gonna move out to the earth now. Here's the earth, and obviously we can't even be seen anymore. But this is when it really starts getting scary, is when I look at the earth, I was staring at the uh, ocean on Friday, our last full day in Myrtle Beach, and it was so beautiful. It was such a pretty day. The humidity was down. The visibility was over 10 miles, and we could see out forever, and I just thought, man, it's so big. And then I was reminded of this, and I was like, man, it's so small. I mean, that ocean seems so massive to me, and yet when I look at this, I realize how tiny the earth is that we live in, and there's six and a half billion of us and yet this is what God did is in seven days, we believe, on the seventh day he rested in six days, I believe he breathed. And on the sixth day he made man out of the dust of the ground. Here's all the planets. And just watch as it goes out. There's the sun. And the sun is huge, isn't it? Massive, 93 million miles away from us. And yet it looks so small. But this is my favorite part as we go out. There's the sun. You see it little tiny right there in my mouse. And it gets so small because these other stars are so much bigger. And these stars that you're looking at now are teeny tiny in the grand scheme. Teeny tiny. As we go out, these are the massive stars. And our sun is no longer even a dot on that big space. And it begins to put things in perspective when you see the Milky Way, which you'll see in just a second. The Milky Way galaxy is absolutely massive. It's a massive, massive galaxy. 
that we live in. Let me just keep spanning out real quick. It is so big, and yet the universe is billions of light years across. And just in the Milky Way galaxy, we live in what would be a tiny, tiny cul-de-sac if the entire Earth were represented by the if the entire Earth were represented by the Milky Way galaxy, we would live in a cul-de-sac in one of your neighborhoods. That would be where the Earth is. And yet, the Milky Way is so tiny compared to this. Look at this. You have to go in so far just to find the Milky Way galaxy, which is right there. In the grand scheme of all the heavens that we know about, it's hundreds of billions of light years, which is 5.4 trillion miles across. Hundreds of billions of light years, which is 5.4 trillion miles for one light year across. And this is our God, is he breathed and made the heavens and the earth. God was not bored sitting on a cloud and needing us. And that is what we fail. We fail because we think that this God that breathed and made all these heavens sat up there and said, you know what, I am bored out of my mind. I'm going to make people so that I can hang out with them and it's cool. He made us to bring him glory just like he did this to bring him glory. And I believe the heavens are bigger than we can find because that's the known universe. There are things in that that if I could spend time, thank you, Zach. There are things in there that would absolutely blow our mind, but we don't have time to focus on that today. What we do have time to focus on is Jesus and his father. And this is what I want you to look at this morning are three things, three things about God, three roots about God. Let me read Romans chapter 11 verses 33 through 36 first and this is where I think Paul really gives his final, this is who God is. I think he gives us three things really. He like laid it out for us on a platter and gives us three things. This is who God is. And so before you leave today, this is what I want you to get. This is who God is. And then I'm going to give you three roots about God. Chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift? Excuse me, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him all things and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. For him and through him and to him are all things. Everything is encompassed. To him be the glory. Let's pray real quick. God, in the next very brief couple minutes, I pray that you'll help us see the three things that you want us to, th to see. But most importantly, I pray that we'll fall in love with the God that breathed and made those heavens that are so massive. It is scary to think how small the pocket of the Milky Way galaxy we live in on this earth. This earth seems so big when we're rocking around on it, God, but it is so small. And I am a tiny piece of this tiny earth in this great big galaxy in a humongous, massive universe. And yet, you know every hair on my head. And you love me and you call me your child. God the Father, we love you. And this morning we aim to bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so there's three things that I want to give you. We'll go along with that verse. Three things, three roots that I want to give you. They're simple. They'll be in your notes if you've got your bulletin. 
write them down. I want you to remember this. And now, I know this is deep, but I want you to stay with me because here's why I think it's important. Going back to my man that I play golf with, we simply do not know what we believe. We, we ask God to come in our heart so that we miss hell, but that is not the purpose of why Jesus came. The purpose of why Jesus came was not just so that you miss hell and gain heaven, but so you bring God the Father glory, and that's what we want to accomplish today. So three things, three roots about God the Father. Number one, God knows it all. He is omniscient is the word for that. It's a fancy word that just means he knows it all. He literally knows everything. There's nothing that will ever happen, ever, that he doesn't know. Nothing. I read a guy this week that said to, to try to understand the knowledge and the, the things that God knows and get your mind completely around God is like trying to go to the ocean, the Atlantic, for instance, where I was staring out at all week and taking a foot-long piece of dental floss and trying to catch 1,000-pound marlin. It's funny when we think about it like, sweet, i got to catch that big dude with this big little thing. But that's what it's like. And a lot of people sit around campfires and they discuss and think of the things of the Lord and they know all these things and I do it and I love talking about God but if we think we've grasped him it's like taking a piece of dental floss and going out and catching big fish that obviously can't happen and but that's the way that it is and so as we go through this I want you to remember his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts is what Isaiah 55 says his ways are not my ways his thoughts are not my thoughts as high as the heaven is from the earth that big thing that we just saw so are his ways from my ways he knows everything there is to know, period. Listen to what Romans 11 says again. Oh, the depths and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. This is Paul-like, dude. Are you getting this? It is deep. Like, oh, the depths. It's so much deeper than you can possibly scratch. And I'm a man. I'm writing this. I believe this is what Paul's thinking. And I've got a lot of information, and I haven't even scratched the surface of God. How unsearchable are his judgments? How inscrutable are his ways? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? So can I just be honest? This is what we're like. A couple weeks ago, Lainey and I, and she loves to go grocery shopping with me. Um, and I like for her too because I love spending time with my daughter. She's awesome. She just turned five. She's the coolest five-year-old uh, that I've been around in a while. It's kind of weird. But she's really cool and fun, and, and I just love hanging out with her and love daddy-daughter time to give Leah a break because she's normally chasing our one-year-old. So um, we went to the grocery store the other day, and I was about to pull out, and I was talking to myself because I'm crazy, and I talk to myself sometimes, and, and I said, I think I need to do this, this. And she said, Daddy, if we're going to Ingalls, you need to go this way. I was like, "Who is? what are you talking about? You're five. Why? You weren't even five yet. You were almost five. Why are you telling me what to do? Daddy, and then she'll get this like thing, and she's too much like me, so it drives me crazy. She'll get this like thing of, I'm right, and you listen to me. And I'm thinking to myself, honey, you're five years old. You are cool and all, but now you're not cool because you're telling me what to do. And she argues with me. Like, she's right. And I'm thinking to myself, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way you really think you can tell me what to do. And she does. She is determined, and when I tell her she's wrong, I'll sit her down and explain it to her, and it's simple, even simple stuff like, you need to go this way, and she was dead wrong, way off, and I'm like, I'm arguing with my five-year-old, which shows the level of maturity I have, and then, that wasn't really a time y'all were supposed to laugh, that hurt my feelings, but, like, seriously, I'm like, I love you, but are you kidding me? You know more than me? 
Listen to me. Don't miss this. Isn't that exactly the way we are with God? Only it's a lot bigger gap for my, me and my daughter. Isn't that exactly what we do? When things come in our life and we don't understand it, don't we look at God and say, are you kidding me, God? I'm supposed to be going this direction. And he's like, you really think you know how to get to Ingalls, Mark? I'm God. His ways are so much higher than my ways, and yet I treat him like Laney treats me sometimes, or treats Leah, or treats her grandparents, or, or whoever, because we as human beings think that we're in charge and we're the boss. And the last person that I want to give glory to is God. I want to give glory to me. I don't want God to get all the glory. And we act just like that. Listen to me right now. If you remember things about today, I want you to remember that God knows everything that will ever happen. Why does he let them happen? I'm not sure. I'm not sure why all the things that happen, happen. I can't begin to explain it. But the one thing that I do know when I hold on to God's promises is that, that our God knows all things and that all things happen are for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, like Paul wrote in Romans 8, 28. That in all things we know that he accomplishes good for those who love him. And I don't understand when your family has passed. I don't understand how that's good, but I'm telling you, I'm also not the one that needs to tell him how to get to the grocery store. He knows so much more than I do. His ways are way higher than my ways. I wish I could tell you answers for some of the tough things in life. I wish I could tell you answers for things like, why do my prayers go unanswered? I don't know some of those things. But the one thing that I do know is his good is so much better than mine. And if we let the story play out, we will see the blessings of God like we have never seen before. But for so many of us, we don't want to wait on God. Why? Because I want the glory. I want it to be about me. And I'm going to tell you who's the chief, the worst. I really don't know anybody that is worse than that, worse at that, excuse me, than I am. I love to get glory. And I love to take credit. And I've been so deeply burdened for that this week, studying this back over and over and over. Just the fact that I look out and I see the beauty that the tides go on the moon and that everything flows and it happens and it's all by God's hands. And that is so tiny in his grand creation, and yet he loves me and created me to bring him glory. But I want glory, and I want to tell him what to do. God knows it all. God knows it all, and he doesn't need our help to tell him. And the reason that we're not greatly used by God, one of the main reasons, is because we don't want to give the God that owns it all and knows it all, all. We want to give him part of us. And at the moment that I completely surrender to God the Father through his son Jesus, and say, you know what, I'm just going to walk with faith. And I'm going to love you because you love me and because you created me. The minute that I'm not in charge anymore and I'm not the one that, who's trying to get all the glory in my life is the minute that I will begin to scratch the surface and understand how awesome our God is. He owns it all. And number two, he, he knows it all. I'm sorry, he knows it all, number one. And the second one is he owns it all. He owns everything. He owns every single thing. He owns it all. Psalms, there's a verse uh, at the end of Psalms, Zach, I'm going to skip. Psalm 50, verses 10 and 11 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. He owns everything. And listen, this is why that verse is important, because you've heard me talking about money, and I declare he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. The reason that was important is because in David's day, when he was writing this, the person that owns the most cows wins. 
and that was kind of how you were judged is who owns a bunch of cows. To own a cattle, to own the cattle on a thousand hills is like mind-boggling how much money that is. A thousand different hills, he owns them all, and this is what it basically translates. Bill Gates or the Walton family that owns the Walmart Corporation or Warren Buffett or any of them are poor or paupers compared to our God. Listen, the richest person on the planet, the sheik in Saudi Arabia, the person that you look at and say, holy cow, they have so much. They own nothing, nothing compared to God. There's not a, an amount of money that I could possibly grasp, but when Lee and I were talking about this last night, I told her it would be like those awesome big houses in Litchfield that if I won the lottery, I would probably own one. <laughs> It'd be like God owns all of them on that beach and then on every beach and that's not the beginning of his wealth and he can give you one but you're just borrowing it he owns everything God literally owns everything everything that is mine is his and it is a gift from God you know the reason that we um, put on our offering envelopes 2 Corinthians 9 6 and 7 is because we want you to give cheerfully and not out of obligation because that is Paul's words to the church of Corinth, number one. And number two, God owns it anyway. It's God's money. And when you get to the point that you understand that and it is a part of your worship to go back to those kiosks and give or to drop money in the offering plate or to give online or however you want to, when you understand that it's part of your worship experience to give back part of what God gave you, if that's 10%, if that's what you choose, that's awesome. That's a tithe. And if it's more than that, that's great. If you can't do that, but you can cheerfully give something, I believe God honors that. And it is not until then that you can fully experience God. I, I'm telling you this, and I probably shouldn't say this as a pastor because that, you guys pay the bills. But I believe God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If you don't give cheerfully, I'd rather you not give. Because I believe you miss the blessing if you grit your teeth. Because God owns it all. And I get to every Sunday, I give on that kiosk, I get to every Sunday give to him through his bride, the church. And that's why I do it. When I understand that God owns it all, it frees me. My money is not my money, it is God's money. My money's not bringing me glory, and there's nothing wrong with having fun. I do not believe there's something wrong with vacations or new cars or big houses, I believe there's something wrong with that when all we want to do in life is bring ourselves glory and not Him glory. You have to ask yourself this question with every dime that you spend. What is the purpose of what I'm about to do? Am I bringing me glory or Him glory? Because I think through everything we can bring Him glory. I think through everything. I think through a big house, you can bring Him glory by having people over. I think through a beach house, you can bring Him glory by having other people get to come to your beach house. I think through everything, through, through a boat, that seems selfish, right? No, you can bring him glory. Everything can bring God glory. You just must ask yourself, am I selfish or not? Listen, continuing in, in uh, Romans chapter 11, or who has given God a gift? Who has given a gift to him? Who has given God a gift that he might be repaid? And this is what I think we miss. I think we come in sometimes, and let me just say me, okay? In the past, this is what I thought. When I dropped my tithe in the offering plate, when I used to go to churches that pass the offering plate or however you give now, I think we thank God, I'm paying you back, you're welcome. 
Listen, you, <laughs> he owns it all. You're not giving God something when you drop money in the offering plate because you get to pay him back. And so don't miss that. And please don't ever give thinking God's going to be off my back this week because I gave to him. God owns everything. He knows everything and he owns everything. He is so amazing and supreme. But this is the last one and I think it's the most important one. And this is hard and I want to apologize ahead of time. This is a hard truth but I want you to get it. Um, God doesn't need us. I almost put at all, so they all went together, but I decided that wasn't necessary. God doesn't need us. We need him. I think the mistake that we've made over the years in churches is we've dumbed down God because we begin to say how much he needs our worship. Um, nope. Not at all. I literally believe God would be just fine if every single human being on the planet died and no one else worshipped him. Why? Because he's God and he doesn't need anything. But I don't believe that's going to happen because in Genesis, he promised us that he wouldn't kill everybody again. And he made us with one purpose in mind, and that is to bring him glory. But he wasn't this God that sat on a cloud and said, I'm bored. He wanted to make us, listen, in his image, like Genesis 1.27 says, so that in our own choice, we could decide whether or not we would make us God. I don't want you to miss this. Please, if you haven't heard anything else I've said, get this. Whether we could make ourselves God or him God. More people worship themselves than any other idol you'll ever see. More than the idols of Baal in the Bible, more than anything else. Listen, this is what happened to Satan. Satan was in heaven and he was the number two in command. He was the angel over worship. He was high and lifted up. He was mighty. He was beautiful. And he got tired of worshiping God because he wanted glory for himself. And the thing that is the fall of man that we will talk about next week and we will continue to talk about for the rest of the time in this church off and on. Your fall did not happen because of Adam and Eve. Your fall happened because you want glory that God deserves. You want the glory that God deserves. I know Adam and Eve sinned first, but you would have too, and I would have too, because we all want glory. Eve sinned. Why? She wanted the glory that God deserved. Adam sinned. Why? Because was it Eve's fault? No. He wanted the glory that God deserved. We all want the glory, and God is jealous, and he is severe. He is severe. And his jealousy and severity sends us to hell. And this is what so many people say. Would a loving God really send people to hell? Well, you've missed the point of God. God didn't create you because he felt sorry for you. He created you for glory. And when you rob his glory, when you rob his glory, when you rob what is rightfully his because he is the supreme being of the universe. And, and listen, this is what we miss. God is not human. And what we have to stop doing is putting God in a, in a box like he is one of us and thinks like one of us. He is God. He is so much bigger and more powerful than anything we can possibly imagine, and yet he is loving. He loves you. He made you in his image. He sent his son, and it pleased him to watch his son suffer and die for each one of us, and yet it does not make him happy when we rob his glory. And so each one of us earn hell every day when we turn our backs from God, and the only way that we can have heaven is by trusting in his son as Savior and believing that he died on the cross so that we could be given the right to be called a child of God. His 
child. That is why he made us. It pleased God because it brought him glory to put Jesus on that cross. And God gets so much glory when you, who naturally want to bring glory to yourself, lay it down and worship with arms high and heart abandoned. And you say, God, you are so amazing. You're worthy to be praised. Listen to what Romans 11 says. For from him and through him and to him are all things, everything. From him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Acts 17 verses 24 and 25 says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, don't miss this, does not live in temples made by us. He is not human. He does not live in here. He does not need us. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, right? That's what the author Luke said. He doesn't, as though he needed anything that we have since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And at the point that I understand that God himself gives us life and breath and everything in it and that he doesn't need us and that he owns it all and that he knows it all, and that he doesn't need me at all, but he wants me. Listen, how awesome is that? He does not need me, but he wants me. He wants a relationship with me. He desires to spend intimate time with me. He loves it when I'm in his word, reading the knowledge that he has given me. I don't understand everything. I pray every morning. My prayer is, God, give me some knowledge so that I can understand this word better. That is your word. And I beg him every day to do a work because why he can, because he's God. Because there's nothing that is impossible. And when I begin to understand that fact that next door is nothing for God, he can give it to us. That the stuff on Hampton Road is nothing to God, he can give it to us. But it's only going to happen when I begin to understand that my chief end is to bring glory to God and that is it. Once I understand those things that it's nothing about me, I begin to be greatly used by God every man and woman that has ever been greatly used by God, it's only because they have sacrificed and gotten out of the way that they've stopped thinking of themselves and they put God in place. Listen, please don't miss this. It has nothing to do with you. How awesome is that? That's really good news. Your talent is not necessary. He doesn't need your talent. He just wants you. He just wants you. God doesn't need anything about you. I used to so many times think my favorite player was Michael Jordan. I still think he's the best player. Sorry, LeBron fans. I really thought he was, I wanted to be like him so much, and this was my thought. What if Michael Jordan got saved? How much difference could he make? Here's the folly in that. God doesn't need Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan needs God. He doesn't need any of us to change the world. But he chooses to use us. The rocks and the trees will cry out if we don't. It is at the moment that I put God in the place of honor and worship and understand that he sent Jesus so that I could worship him and trust him as Savior. It is at the moment that I love God more than I love me that I begin to understand how greatly God can use me. But it is only at the moment that I fall in love with the supreme God that is so much greater than I. And if I don't, I continue to be what I am. The mark that gets frustrated on 26 and 20 on the way home from the beach because traffic is so slow and I yell at people. Why? Because it's all about me. I'm an idiot. 
all the time. I drive my family crazy. I drive my friends crazy. Why is that? Because I want glory. Because I want to rob God of what is rightfully his. And at the moment that you begin to understand that it is your only reason for existence is to offer him glory through everything that you do, through sex. You say, what? I absolutely believe that sex brings God's glory when done, in the, when done in marriage. When done in the right way, it brings God glory. When done outside of marriage or done outside of the right way, it brings you glory. Which one is it for you? Your job? Your job brings God glory when you do it for him. When you witness to your friends, witnessing is not your chief end, it's one of the commandments of God, but it's to bring God glory. Your marriage, your life with your kids, time to go to the ball game, that can bring God glory. Everything that you do, playing golf, I love playing golf. Is it for me? Yeah, I get a break, but I can ultimately do it to give God glory. If everything in my life, I think, God, I just want you to receive glory today through something that I do. Having fun is awesome. I just have to reflect and think, who is this about? This message was for two people today, two different groups of people, and every one of you fall into that category. And this is what I want you to do as Travis plays. Um, I want you to put yourself in the perspective of where you are. Are you the person that is saved, that has called themselves a child of God, that you believe in your heart wholeheartedly that you're saved? Or are you the person that's never followed Jesus Christ as Savior? I believe that all you have to do following what Paul said one chapter earlier in Romans chapter 10 is whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what Paul said one chapter earlier. And I believe with all my heart that is the prerequisite for salvation. And the problem is some of us have never made him Lord. Never made him in charge. Never made him supreme being in our life that we follow and it dictates everything that we do. I put on glasses every day and it's my God glasses and I try to see differently. I try to love my wife and my kids and my family differently. I try to do everything that I do differently. Why? Because if I do it with my glasses on, I'm going to screw it up. A royal mess because I want to bring me glory but when I want to bring God glory it changes everything and so what I have to ask you is are you the person that's saved but needs to get right because a lot of people if you're honest and I'm one of them It needs to be you. And for the other people, you've never really said yes to Jesus. I want you to do that today. But I don't want you to do that being scared of hell. And hell is the worst place you can possibly imagine. But I want you to do it because you fall in love with a holy God. And you say yes to him. I want you to do that because God is so amazing. I do not care if you play in the band. I don't care if you're a staff person at this church. I want every person to be honest and evaluate where you are with God because God has so deeply burdened me with this message. Can everybody just be honest this morning? I'm asking y'all for every person to respond. If your response is to just sit there and say God is in the place of honor that he should be, that is awesome. But today is Father's Day. Can we honor God the Father together and be honest with where he is in our lives? With everybody looking, I'm just going to ask you to respond together. Is there anybody here this morning that would say, Mark, just being real, man, I've never made God Lord. I've never trusted Jesus as Savior. I've never made
made him everything in my life and I want to do that today. I need Jesus to save me from my sins. I believe he died on the cross. I believe God did it so it would bring him honor because he wanted me to be his child. He doesn't need me, but he wants me. Is there anybody in here that would say, Mark, that's me. I, I want to trust Jesus as Savior. If that's you, in front of everybody, and this is bold, but you know what? If you really want it, I think you'll do it. I just want you to stand up. On the count of three, I'm going to count to three. And in front of God and everybody like we did on Easter and a few other times, I just want you to stand up and say, that's me right now. I need God in my life. I need Jesus. I want to trust him as Savior. If that's you, I just want you to stand up. One, two, three. Stand up right where you are. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Now's where I'm asking your honesty. And I'm not going to be mad at you if you don't come to the front. I'm going to be disappointed because I believe if we're honest, there's a lot of people that need to do business with God. I'm asking y'all right now to stand up and come down front. And as we worship to close, we're going to end it with a song of worship, okay? I want y'all to worship right here. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to, we're not going to pray. We're just going to bring God glory. We're just going to bring God glory. We're going to bring him honor and glory. If you believe that you are receiving the glory in your life and you need to make a change in your life where you put God in the place of glory that you should, I just want you to get up right now and come stand right here. I'm inviting you to come down here and stand right here right now. If you believe you're in the right place, that is awesome. And I believe you. But I'm inviting you right now just to get up where you are. If you believe you should put God in a different place of glory than where he is right now, I just want you to come. Come right now, please. Stand up wherever you are. Come on.